Please stay tuned for a very special election edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Welcome this week to another tantalizing episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 <laughs> mania. Yes, we're kind of sleepy because we're tired. <laughs> well, it's busy and we're ramping up to election week. Election week. Oh my gosh, it is coming. And guess what? We have a candidate on the show today. We do. Oh my gosh. So who's here? Would you like to introduce yourself? Can you tell us a little bit about your um, professional background, your family, and kind of what drew you to run? Absolutely. I've lived in uh, this area now for close to 30 years, and all of that time I've been involved in higher education. I've been teaching at uh, first at the University of Richmond when I moved here, and then for close to 20 years, the past 20 years, I've been at J. Sargent Reynolds Community College, and it's really the um, uh, the areas of teaching and learning that have made me understand how there's such a critical need for so many families and so many students in our community to get better support and better resources to continue their educational progress. So that's what uh, has really been part of my motivation to run. And my husband and I uh, have raised two daughters in Chesterfield County. They, We're waving at him right now. Hi. Husband waves. Hi. He is sitting right here with us. And um, we were so fortunate to have a wonderful school system for both of our daughters. And we want to make sure that all families in Virginia have the similar kind of access to educational opportunities. Our oldest daughter lives and works in Northern Virginia, and our youngest daughter is a second year now at the University of Virginia. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So let's talk about running as a woman of color, first of all, one who would be the first Muslim American woman to serve on the state Senate. First, what's taken us so long to get I mean, the fact that it's 2019 and that's where we are. Speak on that first, if you'd like. And does it feel like you're representing something larger than just the 10th district? Because it's 2019 and here we are with that? Well, yes. I think if we take a look at our current uh, Senate uh, makeup, there is such a need for diversity. We absolutely need to have more women and more women's voices represented. Uh, Women's issues are so critical in many, many ways, whether we're talking about minimum wage issues, opportunities for child care, raising the uh, uh, specter of reproductive health issues for women. All of those are very critical Uh, areas that women are deeply concerned with. And we have to represent ourselves. We've learned that time and time again. When uh, we don't have women represented, then other people are making decisions and rather bad decisions for us. So Mm -hmm. that is a very critical area for for all of us. But running as a minority woman in particular has been uh, both a challenge and remarkably interesting for me. (laughs) Um, we, We not only need women, of course, in our General Assembly, but we do need to have many more minority women voices represented. And and for me, the challenge has been just uh, initially in terms of getting started. Of course, you know, the um, specter of elect- electability often rears its head. And there is a question whether minority women in particular can be electable. And I'm so excited that 
in this particular campaign year, we have many minority women running, and we have proven all the naysayers wrong. <laughs> Not only are minority women electable, but uh, we can also compete quite uh, intensely in areas of fundraising, in getting our messaging out, and in getting a lot of folks excited about supporting different candidacies. So that's been really wonderful to see. And um, so it's it's been a, a, a good journey so far. And as far as being the first uh, Muslim American that would be in the state Senate, that is a necessary first step just to have, uh, again, a diversity of perspectives. It's not so much that uh, we uh, have... Um, uh, different faith traditions that are represented, but the perspective of a different community, because we have so many diverse communities now that are living in Virginia, and people want to see that their elected officials look like them, Mm -hmm. or that they have similar backgrounds, similar experiences. And so not only am I a Muslim American, but I'm also an immigrant. And as you know, the population of immigrants is growing tremendously in Virginia, and um, many people want to reflect on that experience as well in our elected officials. Absolutely. Representation matters. We have the possibility of flipping the entire GA from red to blue. Woohoo! Woo! <laughs> what does that look like in the state Senate policy-wise if we flip? Well, that's going to be tremendous, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because if we can flip the Senate, now we have uh, the opportunity to really focus on issues that matter to so many people. In particular, in my district, when I've been out talking to folks at the doors, uh, the top three concerns that I've heard repeatedly are focusing on quality public education. And in public education, it means restoring funding, prioritizing education as the critical concern for us as a state, uh, restoring funding for K-12, restoring funding for our colleges and universities, and making sure that our teachers are paid and compensated at the levels that they deserve. So education is a top recurring priority. It also means that we move forward in uh, supporting our Medicaid expansion. We were so fortunate because we had so many Democrats elected in 2017 that we were able to uh, expand Medicaid support for close to 400,000 Virginians. That is an area we have to continue to work on, protect that Medicaid expansion, make sure we put a cap on prescription drugs, especially drugs such as insulin that are lifesavers for so many folks, and um, that we do everything possible to continue to develop our healthcare resources. And finally, what's really going to be exciting for all of us if we have a Democratic majority is that we can move forward on gun safety legislation. Mm. That's an area that that I hear repeatedly when I talk to voters, whether they're in the city or in the counties. Um, We know that there's a public will for gun safety legislation. We just haven't had the political will in our General Assembly. So what we saw happen on July 9th when the governor called a special session and our lawmakers came in, and our GOP lawmakers voted simply to adjourn, that would not have happened if we had had the Democratic majority. So that's what's going to change when we have Democrats in office. Let's talk about directly from your website. I'll just kind of list some of the issues that you talk about and we'll kind of 
ask some questions directly towards those. Education, healthcare, preventing gun violence, which you just talked about. Protecting the environment, which we definitely need, because, hmm. <laughs> Developing the workforce, we absolutely need. Broadband access is not something that we talk about a lot in Richmond, but it's really, really important. I'm from, originally I'm not from Richmond, I'm kind of Richmond transplant. I always say that and people are like, what does that mean? But I'm actually from the Tidewater area, from deep down in rural Smithville. Mm. And there is no broadband access. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very rare. And so that's something that is really important. And people take for granted that you can go to a Starbucks and get free access to Wi-Fi or that there's even a, a library. Yeah. That you have access to to go to or or just having access to go somewhere that has a Wi-Fi available. So broadband access is like that's big. Oh, no, right. it, it will uh, touch so many different issues and change mm-hmm. a lot of lives if there's more access to that widespread. Because mm-hmm. I mean, we totally take that for granted. We've got it everywhere we go right now. Yeah. Well, there's there's so many big things we talk. I, I try to bring that perspective into our conversations when we're talking about the differences of, of lots of different changes that, you know, city issues that when we talk about because we're, you know, always we're always talking about enrichment but the differences between disparities between rural counties and city living is way different but anyway paid family leave paid family leave right family, family. all y'all big deal <laughs> anyway education right now in in richmond especially is huge everything our schools have been a major focus right now in richmond um we recently had the mills tax provide us lots of extra coins to build uh three new schools that we needed we actually need all new schools <laughs> we're getting there uh one meals tax a day so eat in richmond <laughs> but uh let's talk about your education and career training what will you do or plan to do to make sure that Virginia's poorest school districts get the maximum amount of funding or at least try to divert as much as you can um, to those districts to help in that area. We have to do so much to improve our schools, as you just said. And this is uh, not just in Richmond City, but also in Chesterfield County as well. And our, because those are the two areas in my in my district that mm-hmm. are uh, critically important. So we've got a lot to do. Um, and it really is a matter of equity, making sure that all of our school systems and our uh, various districts are, are fully supported. So one of the first things we need to do is restore the funding to the pre recession levels that they were at in yeah. 2008. Uh, we have not yet done that as a state. Other states have uh, gone back to the same funding levels and Virginia has not yet done that. So that is a very first step for us. And when we're thinking about equity in education too, I really, really support strongly the concept of universal pre-K so that all of our youngest students get off to a great start. We know from research that there is a huge disparity between between children who receive quality public uh, uh, quality pre-K program and uh, students who haven't had that opportunity. Uh, for the youngest learners, when they haven't had a quality pre-K and they hit the school system, they're already at a disadvantage and they have to play catch up with their classmates. So those are some initial steps that we need to take. We also need to make sure that state government is supporting the localities in funding school 
school systems. So our localities where we don't have a taxpayer base that can uh, support the kind of quality resources and teachers that uh, are going to be um, most effective for our population, the state government can increase its support in those areas and make sure that we have equity in school funding. So improving the infrastructure, as you already pointed to, of our school buildings is critically important. Uh, None of us want to see uh, students in schools that have mold, uh, that have rats, that have furniture that's uh, breaking down. Learning cannot take place in an environment that is not conducive to it. What kind of a message are we sending our students when they walk into dilapidated buildings? The message is, we don't really care about you. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that the students know that the communities around them fully support um, them and that supporting education is an investment in our collective future. Absolutely. That has to be part of what we do as we prioritize the budget. We have some really great community colleges in this state. Yes, yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. But I talk to a lot of folks in young and, you know, grown up and they don't necessarily know that it's an option or if it's really something for them. And I think that at any age, the option of community college is a wonderful thing or other options outside of the university sphere. Do you have any plans or thoughts on how to make the community college system more accessible to everyone past high school age? Thank you for asking that. Uh, As you know, (laughs) community colleges are near and dear to my heart. Uh, And you're right, they've been a hidden gem in Virginia. So we've got 23 community colleges spread out throughout the state. And they are wonderful ways for individuals to continue their educational progress or to start off their education. And a lot of people really don't understand what it is that community colleges do. And uh, one of their purposes, of course, is to serve as the starting ground for the four-year college degree. So you can come to a community college, get your two-year associate's degree. And then we have articulation agreements that allow students to uh, move seamlessly from the community college into any one of our wonderful four-year colleges or universities. And and that is a, a great option for so many people. But a lot of people don't want a four-year degree necessarily. And the other ways in community colleges uh, that they can serve our state is to serve as uh, pathways to career and technical programs. And we have so many options, whether it's in healthcare industries or in um, jobs such as uh, welding or uh, other uh, construction areas. I know at Reynolds Community College, where I've been Uh, teaching in the past. We have a horticulture program, uh, automotive maintenance program. So there's uh, wonderful ways for people to find careers that pay well and that are of interest to them and and that give them an opportunity to develop their their skills. I don't want to forget our great culinary arts program. (laughs) Richmond has become a thriving foodie city and uh, so many of our wonderful restaurants that are now in the city uh, have folks that have gone through Reynolds uh, culinary arts program and have gained the skills that they need to run restaurants or to be chefs inside restaurants. 
restaurants and to serve the public that way. I do want to clarify, I, um, uh, w- I've been with Reynolds for close to 18 years, but as a result of the campaign in the middle of the summer, I knew this campaign was too vital, too important, and I did decide to resign my position. And so as of September, I, I um, have not been working at, at the college. Um, that was a tough decision for me because uh, my uh, life's work has been spent uh, at that institution. So I just wanted to clarify that. Mm, yeah, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'll bet that you, you've probably got an open door if you wanted to go back. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> if wonderful, there was ever a necessity. Yeah, wonderful colleagues and friends there. So, um, yes, certainly. Oh, good, good. We'll move on to the uh, hot debatable. I don't know why it's debated at all. Right. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Gun violence in the Second Amendment. You know, it seems pretty common sense to me. I've and I'm a gun owner. But again, that's a rule thing. It's a little different. Despite the fact that we have had so many instances with gun violence and mass shootings and so many things and other states have been and other localities have been very fast to respond when they have things um, in their area, like banning uh, bump stocks and high-capacity magazines and different things, we still don't have common-sense gun laws to fix this problem. One, you know, kind of what would you propose should be done to fix that? And also, a lot of constituents, not like myself, I mean, you can have my gun, I don't care. But, (laughs) you know, you do have gun owners that are, for whatever reason, are terrified that gun laws are going to require them to, you know, round up all the guns and and take them away. You're going to go door to door, right? You're going to knock on doors with a basket and you're going to take them all. (laughs) Well, I mean, if they... (laughs) I wish we could do that with other things. Right. I, I mean, even if they did, where's the balance in between that? What do you think we need Yeah, I I, I think for too long, the conversation or the narrative around guns has been controlled by the corporate gun lobby. And the messaging that they've put out is that um, any any attempt to pass common sense gun legislation is an assault on Second Amendment rights. And we know, most people know that that is simply not the case. There is no attempt to um, take away Second Amendment constitutional rights. And first of all, that is an issue that would be legislated at the federal level, it would require uh, a constitutional amendment. And it is uh, far beyond the scope of anything that any of us have been talking about. So you'd say the Second Amendment is safe? Currently, it is safe and it's not going anywhere for anybody. All right, folks. <laughs> um, I mean, you know. And what we're talking about is just, it is what it is. It's common sense gun legislation. And we know that other Western countries, developed nations, have um, policies in place that prevent this kind of, um, of gun violence at the level that we see in this country. Mm-hmm. And we have to take action to make sure that we don't see we've we've suffered two mass tragedies in Virginia, and those have affected families and friends that most of us know personally. And that is why in Virginia in particular, we have the capacity to take effective action. And it's not just the mass tragedy, it's the day to day.
day when we lose lives on such a regular basis as a result of gun violence. People in Virginia are asking us to take action. I found it particularly appalling that on July 9th, our GOP lawmakers refused to engage in any kind of discussion. And that was a, an abysmal abdication of their responsibility, what their constituents asked them to do. And so when we're talking about common sense gun legislation, we're talking about universal background checks. We're talking about making sure we have red flag laws in place so that individuals prone to violence against themselves or the other people uh, don't have access to weapons. Uh, we want to make sure that the gun, so, uh, gun show loopholes are closed and, and banning uh, assault rifles and high capacity magazines. Those are just some initial basic steps. That's what the uh, uh, effective legislation would do. And I think most people in Virginia, we know from research that most people support those, uh, those kinds of measures. Your campaign, you've got a lot of different issues that are listed there. Is there anything that you didn't really get to list on your website that kind of is a passion of yours too, but it's not necessarily listed in your campaign that you'd like to, you know, maybe see a bill come through, a paper come through, or something you'd like to, you know, accomplish if you are elected? I think we've uh, touched on the top priorities for my campaign on our website, but I certainly have a very strong focus on climate issues, and we know that it's not a climate uh, uh, a climate change we're talking about. We're really talking about a climate crisis, mm-hmm. and no matter where I've been talking, whether it's in the counties or in the city, the issues of the environment have come up repeatedly for so many voters, and for my folks in power County in particular. I began early, right uh, before the primary even, talking to the folks there about the landfill concern. And um, there's a massive landfill that's been approved in Cumberland County, but it's right at the border and the edge of the folks in my district in Powhatan County. And they had no say-so. Um, they could not ask uh, for the landfill to be stopped because it was another county's um, right. matter to decide, but it affects soil, water, um, the environment, uh, the environmental degradation that is potential as a result of this landfill is tremendous, and it affects the lives of so many people who live in that area. Um, So we have to have a bigger conversation around the environment, and particularly about environmental justice, so that we are not targeting communities of color, low-income communities, when we are thinking about um, the ways in which our environment is degraded uh, because of major pollutants uh, from from various sources. That was such a nice way to put that. <laughs> we'll say it in the RVA dirt way. Don't put your trash <laughs> where all the poor and black people live. Thank you. Don't dump it there. We thank you for coming. This was very enlightening to get through a lot of your topics and talk about your campaign and let you talk about it, not have us talk at you about it. We're going to let you make some closing statements. What would what do you want to tell the voters in your district about you this week, right before Election Day? What do you want them to know? 
Well, all all uh, throughout my campaign, I've been talking poetry <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's my background is American poetry. And I share the message of Walt Whitman and Langston Hughes. Walt Whitman uh, once wrote, I hear America singing. And it's about that magnificent song that is our American democracy. And Langston Hughes took that message and added the critical voice of the marginalized individual. And he dared to claim that I to sing America. As an immigrant, I want folks to know that I too sing America. I deeply value and cherish the democratic principles and ideals that have built this country. And one thing I'm asking everybody when I'm talking to them on the campaign trail is that they add their own unique voice to this magnificent song that is America. I love that. I love that. That's a beautiful way to close. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Hashmi, for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and good luck on Tuesday. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a delight talking to you. Thank you. After these messages, we'll be right back. Dear young people, don't vote. Don't vote. Everything's fine the way it is. Trump, that was us. He's our guy. Tax cuts for the rich? (laughs) Hell yeah. I'm rich as f- Climate change? That's a you problem. I'll be dead soon. Sure, school shootings are sad. But I haven't been in a school for 50 years. I can't keep track of which lives matter. Sure you don't like it. So, you'll like some meme on Instagram. If the weather is nice, maybe you could go to one of those little marches. You might even share this video on Facebook. But you won't vote. You young people never do. But I do. I do. I do. Midterms, primaries. Every single election. We'll be there, but you won't. Because we're a generation of doers. Not whiners. And we're doing great. Hi, I'm Billy, and I was a non-voter. Hi, Billy. Welcome to Non-Voters Anonymous, a group where we talk about the times we didn't vote and how this year, on November 6th, we're going to change that. Look, when I was in college, I didn't vote in many midterm elections. I was busy shotgunning beers and watching Third Rock from the Sun. But I vowed to vote this November because I want a say in the direction our country is going in. Who's next? You, why didn't you vote? Um, hi, I'm Trevor. Hi, Trevor. Trevor. And I didn't vote because, like, so boring. It's a good point, Trevor. Instead of voting, I was probably having sex. Right. Look, voting isn't as cool as watching The Nun in 3D or watching pimple-popping videos on YouTube. But voting affects everything, Trevor. The economy, healthcare, the environment. And if you don't vote, who's to say what happens to Post Malone? You. Hi, I'm Christina. Hi, Christina. And I never voted before because I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Same. Oh, Christina. Once you register to vote, it's actually really easy to search online and find out where your polling place is. It's usually someplace like a community center or a school gym, and not someplace fun like the Minions ride at Universal Studios. I love those little Minions. Next. Um, my name is Don. I don't. So I didn't vote because I was a student and I was working at the same time, so I didn't have time to research. Oh, you know what? We're all busy, Don. You were a student and I'm working in major motion pictures and TV shows. 
Voting is like a childish Gambino video, Don. It's very important. Next. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Dave. Hi, Dave. Hey. And I just didn't vote because I didn't think my vote mattered. Dave, how old are you? 27. I'm 31. 31. Yeah, I thought so. Let me tell you something, Dave. Anyone under 35, you guys are in the most influential voting block if you actually go and vote. You have the power. Now you just have to use it. We've all had our reasons for skipping elections in the past, but now we realize the importance of voting on November 5th. Let's all hold hands and recite the non-voters oath together. Despite having missed elections in the past, I vow to vote this November. I won't make excuses, and I will be home in time to watch NCIS New Orleans or whatever Tuesday night shows I like. Amen. If I'm over 35, do I still have to vote? Yes, everyone can vote. You can vote in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. 80s, stay home. Yeah, 80s too old. What's the point? Give a shit and vote this November. Fifth, make a plan to vote now. If you're not gonna vote this November. Fifth, what's wrong with you? If you don't vote this November. Fifth, you're dead to me. Camila Cabello and I will be so grateful. You vote today? Yep. I got my sticker to prove it. I'm going at lunch. I can't wait. <laughs> Only 10 my vote is for American Idol. And you know what I'm doing at lunch today? Updating my Facebook profile. You guys on Facebook? Didn't think so. Besides, one vote means diddly swat. <laughs> Whoa! You can't talk that smack and not get knocked back, Gary! Vote is your voice. That's all kinds of constitutional, baby. You better vote or that's all she wrote. Whoa, sucker. I'm Terry Tate, and I'll approve this message. Look online to find out where to vote, baby. Be sure, my friends, you vote for me. Now, when I'm elected, my good friend, I swear these foreign affairs will end. I'll see that all relations come to light. We'll end the Congo and Cuban feet with a little Cuban Congo beat, cause half their rumbo who's got strength to fight. I'll cure the world of all its ills by passing several thousand bills. I'll stir a stink like never has been stirred. Now, if you don't think I'll keep my word and you think my campaign speech absurd, then you should hear some speeches that I've heard. When I'm elected, I swear for sure to help the farmers spread manure and make the produce market pay you tops. If they don't want to pay by thunder, we'll just plow the dang stuff under to fertilize the soil for next year's crops. We'll put the chickens to the test. We'll squeeze them till they fill the nest. Then we'll increase the output of the cow. If they don't milk the bucket full, we'll spike their feed and shoot the bull, which is what we're doing anyhow. Get out the boat! Be sure, my friends, you vote for me. Now, when I'm elected, friends, I swear to let men sleep in their underwear with no fierce repercussions from their mate. And in return, you women can use any means to work your man because anything you use is legal bait. 
live in houses made of glass with picture windows trimmed in brass, two chicken stuffed in every pot you've got. And if later on things should get rough and you lose your house and that chicken stuff, at least you'll have a window and a pot. Finally, I'd like to say there's no place like the USA, the land where your emotions can emote. It's up to each of us to choose which man will win and who will lose. So friends, for goodness sakes, get out and vote. Get out and vote. sure my friend you vote your choice just be sure my friend you vote your choice you're in the middle of a very special get out the vote edition of rva dirt's municipal mania on wrirlp 97.3 fm richmond independent radio we have another guest here with us on our election week show and as always we're going to let our special guests introduce themselves nothing special just we want you to control your narrative and then introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about um, one who you are you don't have to go too deep into your campaign um, but this is about you just personally um who do we have in studio with us today sheila bynum coleman welcome hey hey Hey. so i am a wife and a mother's five and Real estate agent, small business owner, and candidate for the House of Delegates. Yeah, so what district are you running in? It's 66, which is parts of Chesterfield and all of Colonial Heights. All right, and you're running against who? The Speaker of the House, Kirk Cox, 30-year entrenched Republican incumbent. Yes. That's a big one. It is. A big dragon. We're going to slay him, though. I'll slay him, girl. (laughs) Yes. And tell us why you chose to run for this office. Like, why are you running? Oh, wow. So. Let's see. It started in 2015 when I was working to get things done for my son who has a learning disability. And I called up my delegate, asked him for a 15-minute meeting. He told me no, and I said, I'm running against you. So I lost that election in 15. My daughter was shot in 16. She survived, and I ran again in 17. Lost that election by 819 votes, and then I'm, I'm running again now in a newly drawn non-gerrymandered district because the district that I was in before was part of those gerrymandered districts, right? So it was ruby red. It was like over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house in order to get the district together. (laughs) And it had four different localities and it intentionally cut out the Democrats and the black population Mm -hmm. in that district. And so the Democrats sued. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court upheld it, and now we have new, fairly drawn maps. And so here I am, and it just so coincidentally, the speaker was drawn into the same district. And so when people say, oh, why are you running against the speaker? I'm not running against the speaker. The speaker's running against me. Like, I'm running to represent <laughs> the people in my community. Right. I, don't, I didn't care who was on the other side. It was so important to me because... I started this journey because of my children, but I continued this journey because of the people, because I've met thousands of people who have similar issues that have gone unaddressed, unresolved, and it just is unacceptable. And so we still have the same problems, whether I was running against a 30-year entrenched incumbent or a 29-year entrenched incumbent. It's still the same. The issue's still the same. And things aren't improving in Virginia, and we got to do better. So running as a woman... And running as a, a woman of Black color, woman. Sus- uh, yes, especially, who's been affected by the issues that are on your platform in real life. How important is winning this election for you, but not just for you, 
but for other Virginians who share stories just like yours. So this election to me is more than just an election. It's a movement. It's a movement for change, hope and prosperity and for equality, liberty and justice for all. So, yes, these issues impact me personally, but I am so inspired by the future the people who are coming up behind me, mm-hmm. right? The, the the young girls that are looking at me and that are encouraged to change their community, mm-hmm. to fix the problems that are going to do something in leadership, that, that are going to be empowered to do something. And then also the possibility of us flipping the General Assembly in November in just two days to have a Democratic majority and to be able to raise those teacher pay above the national average, to make sure that we're raising minimum wage, that we're reforming our criminal justice system, and that we are making sure that everyone has access to equality health care and bringing down the cost of prescription drugs and stopping discrimination for our people in the LGBTQ community to make sure our friends also have protections under the law. So I'm fighting for equality, liberty, and justice for all. That's what I'm standing for. And that's what this election is about. That was basically like all the topics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. Because I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, like, what do you see as a major policy shifts if the House is flipped? And you just say all of those things. I think that when when we see the House flip, we're going to see people over corporations because Virginia can be number one for businesses, but we're number 51 for workers, mm-hmm. right? So we're worse than DC. Yeah, Virginia is terrible. We're for terrible. Workers. So we can do both. We can make sure that corporations thrive, but that people do as well. And that's what's important to me is that we put people as a priority, human beings. And for some reason, we're not seeing that. We're, we're letting the corporations thrive. You know, when corporations are making billions of dollars, but the people that work for them can't afford to pay their rent, we got a problem. Major we have a problem. problem. Mm-hmm. $7.25 an hour is a poverty wage. No one can take care of their family out there. You can't pay your rent, buy your prescriptions, food on the table, mm-hmm. off of $7.25, not even $8 an hour. No, you have to work two and three jobs to make ends meet. And then when do you have time for your kids? Right. Yeah. And then when and that's another thing, when we're talking about parent involvement in schools, when parents are running to three jobs or two jobs, I mean, look at it. Our teachers are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Our teachers are leaving the schools and or then they're, have, job. they're going to another job. But then people are saying, well, where are the parents? Why are the parents not at PTA meetings? Why are the parents not at parent teacher conference? Uh, because they're going to their second or third job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's facts. What would you say is your maximum or highest priority right now for your campaign, if you had to pick one? Getting people out to vote. (laughs) Right? Yes. Making sure that we are getting people out to vote. Because my most difficult challenge isn't my opponent. My most difficult challenge is apathy and the fact that people do not believe that their vote matters. Mm-hmm. They don't think these things are going to change because I met a young lady and she said, look, I vote every election. I'm not voting again. And I was like, what? She said, I voted and look what we have in the White House. Mm-hmm. And I said, but you got to continue to vote. And she said, but look at what he's doing. Look at what's happening. Nothing else matters. They're just going to do what they want to do. And I was like, no, baby, you got to get out and vote. Yeah, because the people that put him in office, they came out in droves and voted for him. You lost your last election by how many votes? 819 votes, which came down to roughly about 30 votes per precinct. Yeah. You see what I'm that's saying, tight. people? That's that's votes like that. That's make or break. And we talk about the difference a lot on our show. Voter turnout between general and primary elections. Virginia has elections every cycle because... Every man, November. Every single Dylan Crazy thing. You know, and we have them every year. And so... 
you know, we struggle. We really struggle with voter turnout. And I don't care what it takes. I know it's a lot, but we have lots of different programs to help people. If you need ride share or ride, you know, a ride to get to the polls, start speaking out. We're going to put some stuff out on Twitter. GRTC is providing rides to the polls. Yes. You can ride the bus. Yes, you can mm-hmm. ride the bus. There's lots of different different avenues that people are putting out there. I'm sure Democratic Party is going to have some organized things that are going to just all different types of things will be out there. You just have to speak out and let people know what you need because it's absolutely imperative that you get out and vote. Yeah, and don't be disheartened by the process. When we're doing these elections, these are state and local elections. These aren't elections that are run by an electoral college or anything like that. Every single vote actually does count. It does matter. And so we've got two days to make sure you can get to the polls. Yeah. And just think, you know, these elections that are happening on Tuesday are things that directly impact your everyday living. Mm -hmm. School board, board of supervisors, soil and water, commonwealth attorney, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Your state and Mm -hmm. senate representatives, those all are things that impact you directly. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about criminal justice reform or, I mean, every issue that you can think of, taxes, you know, making sure that we fund our schools. So what I try to explain to people is that if I when I win and and I allocate funding to a locality to Chesapeake County for schools, we got to make sure that we have the right person on the school board. Yeah, we got to make sure we have the right person in the board of supervisors. So we have to all do our part to make sure that we are creating a better Virginia because we can get better. Right. We, we can. It's it's. I it's feel possible. like there's there's only one way to go. It's up right now. Yeah. Right? Let's go up. Let's go up. <laughs> Let's go up. That's right. Sheila, one of the things I think that distinguishes you right now from a lot of other candidates, especially candidates that are running on common sense gun laws or, or that are running on gun rights, is that you have a very personalized story surrounding this topic right now. Of course, that's a, a buzz topic or, you know, a hot button ticket that the Democratic Party is definitely using to, you know, push that narrative. But your story is different because you actually have personal soil in that in that fight. Do you want to share and can maybe talk about that a little bit or sure. talk about why it's important that one, we actually make some some headway on uh, common sense gun laws and what that means because we don't want to do door to door collect your guns that's not what not this at is. all yeah you know talk about that talk about maybe what your platform is on common sense gun laws and why it's important to you so my second oldest i call her second in charge so the second oldest <laughs> went out to a party like our young people do and a guy and a girl got into an argument they start shooting and she was shot running to her car and afterwards, I was I, I asked her, well, how do so many people get, get, get guns? And she was like, oh, just go on Instagram, Snapchat. And she showed me. And I was like, what the? Mm. Like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. We're the most developed civilization on the freaking planet. We can control the guns. Right. And so then I started doing my research and I'm checking. And so I could sell a gun to you. I'm not required to do a background check. So all I'm asking is that every firearm sale has to submit to a background check. Let's make sure that the people who want to have guns should have guns, period. Like, that that, that has got to be something that we do here in Virginia. Now, I know people talk about the mass shootings a lot. You know, people get horrified and upset and they're mad. But people are being killed in the black community every day. Absolutely. We can control the illegal fl- flow of guns. That's what I want to see change is stopping the illegal flow of guns but making sure that everyone has a universal background check. I don't know how we're going to stop that illegal flow yet. I haven't get, crossed that bridge yet, but I know that we can do it. Mm-hmm. 
because in the black community, people are being killed every week. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that we're protecting our Second Amendment rights, right? Anyone who wants to have a gun should have a gun. If they can pass, submit to a background check. And then I think that the next conversation is, what do we do about the illegal flow of guns? How, how do how do we address that topic? I don't know what the answer is yet, but I know that we can we're, we can get some intelligent people in, in a room to figure it out. Yeah, we need we need the right people at the table talking about that. And, that's and it can that's, and should though be a bipartisan solution. Most definitely, yeah. this is yeah. this should matter to everybody. Yeah, and that's that's been something that's plagued the black community for quite some time: the use and sell trading of um, illegal guns. It's been an issue for quite a while, and no, it's not just a, a an issue of black on black crime. That's not that's that's not even that's that's the wrong dog whistle. Um, <laughs> Put it down. Yes, that's, that's not it. There's no gun uh, factories in in the hood. We don't have those there, so they're getting brought into the neighborhoods. I don't know of any black owned gun factories. Um, I haven't seen any of those um, lately, so we're not producing them. So they're coming from somewhere. And if we're going to be real about the conversation, we have to talk about where they're coming from and where the loopholes are and how they're getting into places where we're not really talking about a continuation of just open flow of these types of things. And they're not getting the wraparound services that not just the community, but also the people that are being affected by the crime and being affected by all these other things that come along with illegal guns and poverty levels and all these other things. We have a long way to go. Which is another thing when you talk about poverty is reforming the welfare system. Mm -hmm. Right. I met a young lady and I mean, we were talking and she was crying. I stopped crying. And she was telling me how she was single. She had children and she was receiving benefits. She got a job and she lost her benefits. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I really want to work. But she said within the 30 days of her receiving an income, she's going to lose her housing, yep. her Medicaid, absolutely, her, you know, her health insurance for her children and her food stamps, food stamps and the WIC for the baby. And she said and her job only paid her eight fifty an hour. And so it just was not enough to sustain the family. I want that program to be a step program to step people off of the program. Not that it's immediately kicking people off and making you dependent on the system. We've got to reform our welfare system. We've got to we've got to fix that thing, and so that people can step off. Yeah, because it doesn't really make a lot of sense, and it it ends up crippling people if it's Most designed definitely. to help people. We we listen to stories like that all the time in city council. People stand up during public comment and they talk about. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this position. I don't want to be stuck this way. But if I get a job, I'm going to lose my assistance. When I got a job, my rent went up so bad that now I'm homeless. Now what do I do? Because I got kicked out and I lost my assistance. I can't pay my rent. And I can't now afford to feed my family. And I lost all my stuff because the stuff I had had bed bugs and you threw it away. So what do I do? Yeah, and this isn't a made-up story either because no. we hear this coming to city council. No, there's an actual woman that showed up and had this story, and the rest of the story was absolutely heartbreaking. There's so much. There's so much. Um, but I think that we can, we as Virginians, we as a government, can do better by the citizens of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And it's not socialism. It's, it's not a handout. It's removing the barriers to success, right? When we think about it, we have 400 years of slavery, Black people have only been given the right to vote for 50 years, 
right? And so we're still, as a people, fighting for our equality, liberty, and justice for all. We're still trying to get to that place. And there's still so many barriers to success that government has a responsibility to remove some of those barriers. When we, when I'm going down Malothian Turnpike and I'm seeing all these people that are homeless living on the street, and you think about it, Dominion Power made over $3 billion in overcharging ratepayers, right? They were able to keep that money $3 billion. They were able to keep that money. But if you and I are late paying our power bill, we're going to we're gonna be without power. I cut it off. Absolutely. So we've got to fix that, too, because our lawmakers should not be taking money from a utility company in which they regulate. And Dominion should not be allowed to do what they're doing to us as a people. We've got to put human beings above corporations. I was, I was going to say when you were saying, you know, it's uh, the word that came up is, no, it's. It's humanity. It's just being, it's humanity. It's common sense. It's humanity. And everything doesn't have to be a political thing. It's just being. Just being decent to each other. We're just humans. crying out loud. We're just humans. Yeah, but that's not humanity. It's not something, compassion isn't something that lives within all of us. So the government has the responsibility. Absolutely. To make sure that they're protecting the citizens. Because when you leave it up to the corporations, we've seen through history that they're not going to do the right thing. That greed takes over. Absolutely. And so the government has a a responsibility to step in and put things in place to protect the humanity of civilization. Yeah. Yeah. They don't do it, though. They do a poor job at that, too. They haven't done it, but we're in a place where we can. Yes. I'm running for office because I believe in the humanity of civilization. I believe that we have the power to do better by our people, and I'm determined to do that. I can't just sit back and do nothing. And when, you know, I'm no different from you or anyone else in this society. I saw a problem, and I decided to do something about it. And what can people do, and when do they need to do it to help you? So the election is in, what, 48 hours? It's November November 5th. If you don't live in my district, just please come out and vote wherever you are. And when you go to the polls, ask for a Democratic sample ballot. Make sure that you're voting for the Democrats because a Democratic majority is the difference between life and death here. And that's the truth. And that's what people don't get. It is life and death. It is the ability to build stronger schools. And and, and I always say the teachers are the centerpiece of our society, because if you don't have a teacher, what are you learning? You know, we got to have teachers. And if, if we're if our teachers are losing and teachers are leaving, then how do we grow as a society? So we've got to we've got to do better. We can. So everybody out there, please make sure that you come out and vote November 5th. Ask for that Democratic sample ballot. If you want to get in, get involved in our campaign, go to www.sheilafordelegate.com. Fill out the form. We still have time for you to knock doors and make phone calls and get involved. It's not too late. It's Absolutely. time for a change and we can do it. Thank you. And you can always come out and help at the polls there's plenty of spaces and places for you to come um you can always you don't even have to be uh established to help you can always bring snacks and water and drinks oh we're gonna feed y'all we got all that we got just show up we're gonna (laughs) feed you give you water we're gonna be good you just show up she said she said she'll feed you just come out just come on and we can come and get you we got transportation vans if you need rides to the post we have it all just come just give us a call let us know what your need is and we will be there for you so come on look at that look at that (laughs) oh thank you so much sheila for coming thank you thank you thanks for having me thank you thank you so much and good luck on tuesday Woohoo! it's time for a change yes women one more thing before i go I, i am the first 
black woman to challenge a sitting speaker of the house in yes. America. So when we win on Tuesday, yes. I will be the first African American woman to defeat a sitting speaker of the house in America. Yes. Woo. Thank you. Thank you listeners for tuning into today's very special get out the vote edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. Flint still has dirty water, and now New Jersey does too. Hmm, maybe somebody should look at ours. <laughs> RPS is fully funded this year, but we still got to fund next year, so let's start working on it. And as always, Richmond is still most certainly racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week. If you'd like to continue this conversation or start another, hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt, on our website, rvadirt.com, or email us at info at rvadirt.com. RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania Mania, 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 Mania is created and co-hosted by Francesca Lee Davis and Melissa Vaughn and is recorded in the studios of WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Executive producer Melissa Vaughn, censorship button tester Francesca Lee Davis.